following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. All right, here we are. Matthew chapter 8. If you take your Bibles and turn there and follow along with us, Matthew chapter 8. We uh, looked a couple of uh, sessions back at the cleansing of the leper. I believe that was actually a week ago on Wednesday night when we looked at that. We kind of outlined where we are in the book of Matthew thus far and then looked at the situation with the leper and uh, him being healed and saw the power of Christ to do that, the willingness of Christ to do that, the faith of the man who wanted to be healed and uh, his knowledge of the possibility that Christ could indeed do that. We then spent quite some time uh, looking at the cure of the centurion's servant who was dreadfully tormented, uh, very sick in bed and paralyzed and unable to uh, do anything. And the Lord offered to come and heal, but the man said, no, just say the word. He had great faith in in the Lord and, and really faith in his authority, didn't he? faith that the authority of Christ would carry the day and solve the problem of his servant. And this was a kind of faith that was very, very rare. and In fact, so rare, Jesus said he hadn't seen it in Israel, but he here sees it in a Gentile who is a very much, in the eyes of the Jewish audience, would be kind of a low-life person, you know, really not good, uh, like a Samaritan. Uh, an occupying force. Uh, Gentiles were dogs to them, but here this one exercises faith. And the Lord uh, expresses that, you know, there's going to be a a bunch of Gentiles who are involved in in the coming uh, kingdom. Verse 11, many will come from east and west, picturing from the nations, the goyim, and sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob Uh, in the kingdom of heaven. By the way, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom that is from heaven. Uh, It's the kingdom of the God of heaven. Okay, It's it's, uh, just a shorthand for that phrase, and that is the kingdom that is going to come as pictured in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. It is the kingdom of the God of heaven. That's all. Very simple. Uh, It's coming, and it will come after the... um, the tribulation, which is going to be really after the rapture, but the next big event on the calendar of uh, prophecy that God has for the world, the rapture, then the seven-year tribulation, then the establishment of the kingdom. And that is the kingdom in which we're talking about here. The Gentiles will be involved from the east and the west and will enjoy fellowship with the, the forefathers of the Jews, the patriarchs in this kingdom. Well, Jesus went on to then show his authority not only over leprosy and over an unnamed disease, but also over a fever that was found in Peter's mother-in-law. We looked at that. Um, And uh, by the way, our friend for whom we prayed that has cancer, uh, one of the signs that she had was a fever that was otherwise unexplained and uh, went to the hospital to get checked out. Uh, We don't know that Peter's mother-in-law had that kind of a fever, but it was enough to put her in bed. So it was a pretty serious uh, illness. It wasn't just a minor thing. And so she was healed. The Lord touched her. The healing was immediate. She began to uh, get up and around and to serve the people who were coming into her daughter's home. 
Peter's home. All right, um, verses 16 and 17. I think we touched on this, didn't we, last time? Um, those who came after the evening meal and were wanting to be healed, and um, they brought many who were demon-possessed, and he called or cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, that prophecy from Isaiah 53, verse 4. And uh, remember, we said that that the Lord does bear our um, infirmities and our sicknesses in that he bore the sins that caused those things to happen to us. And so he didn't just solve the sickness problem. That's a that's a miserable cure, actually. If you solve somebody's illness and let them live longer in the sin-cursed life, only then to die and go to Hades, it's hardly a comforting situation, is it? Uh, it just, uh, you know, well, it prolongs their opportunity, I suppose you could say, to respond to the gospel, which is good. But uh, mere physical healing is a small thing. Jesus does both. He physically heals eventually, and he spiritually heals immediately. And that's what is provided for in the atonement in the work of Christ on the cross. Immediate spiritual cleansing to those who believe, ultimate physical healing to those who are in heaven. Uh, and so after the rapture or the resurrection body, which happens at the rapture for the church, then those diseases and things, infirmities are gone and everything is good like it should have been. So healing in the atonement, that's a question that's asked um, all the time. Is there healing in the atonement? Why, yes, but not immediately. Just say that. Yes, but not immediately. Yes, but not immediately. Just to remember, remind people that when they ask that question, they're probably saying, well, can I expect to be healed from my illness in this life right now? No, you cannot. <clears throat> sometimes yes, sometimes no, <clears throat> but there certainly will be an illness like for some of our cancer-stricken friends that may take them from this life and they will be healed in heaven. Now, the Lord turns then to um, another matter altogether. And if you're in tune with Jesus' ministry, you're going to recognize this is as natural as can be. Sometimes, you know, you can get reading these chapters and think, wow, all this miracles, the healings, and the winds and the waves, and the feeding of the 5,000, and you get caught up in all that stuff. But you have to remember that Jesus told his disciples that my purpose in coming was to go to all the villages and cities and to preach the gospel. And so he said, I must do that. So if it's the case that you're reading along and saying, hey, where's the teaching? Well, it's in here. In fact, right here in 18 through 22 of chapter 8 is where it is. You, you, you just can't imagine or shouldn't imagine the Lord going around healing, 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 and not saying anything. <laughs> He's going around healing and saying, you need to believe in God. You need to repent of your sin. You need to trust in the Lord. You know, I'm the messenger, uh, the Messiah, who's, who's telling of the things to come and the way of salvation and fill, fulfilling John the Baptist's ministry and so on. So he's teaching as he goes. And here we have uh, part of his teaching. Of course, we just finished a long section of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7. Here he's teaching again, and here's what it says in verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Okay, so the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. That's a, I, don't even, I didn't even put this in my notes, but just thinking of how ironic it is that the creator of the universe who created birds to know how to build nests and live in them and created foxes and taught them how to know how to make dens to live in them, he himself, the creator of the universe, has nothing. Poverty, no place to live, no place to, to put his head at night. He's always sleeping on the ground or some borrowed mat or some borrowed stick bed or, or whatever that was available then, some other straw bed to rest himself on. He has nowhere to lay his head. Then another one of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, that When you read that, it almost sounds harsh, doesn't it? You mean the guy's dad is dead and he says, skip the funeral? That's not what he's saying here, but let's look at what he's saying. The key word in the section is the word follow, follow. I will follow you wherever you go. And verse 30, uh, 22, rather, Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. So follow me and I will follow the two uh, verses. And then the, the parallel passage is in Luke 9, toward the end of the chapter in Luke 9, 57 to 62, and it adds one more person who has um, a request to follow the Lord in Luke 9. Um, and it says, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So in that instance, three, Luke records three different people. The first uh, will follow, then the foxes and the birds. The second, let me go bury my father. No, don't do that. You know, go and preach the kingdom. And the third here, uh, bid farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom is fit for that kingdom. Mention the kingdom of God two times in that uh, particular passage. Um, so their notion of following was kind of a big thing. If you think about it, what were they saying in their minds when they, or in their, with their words when they said, I'll follow you? What does that mean? You know what that means? That doesn't mean they're going to sit at home and follow him on social media. It means they're going to pick up and they're going to walk with him. They're going to travel with him. They're going to minister with him over the Sea of Galilee and back and forth and up and down Israel and all, you know, all the different places where he went. This is kind of a big thing. I'm going to leave behind what I'm doing and I'm going to come with you, they're saying. It's quite a radical change in their lifestyle and their outlook and their mindset and their desires the thoroughgoing nature of this change, however, may have been lost on them. They may have, as some you know, have found in missionary life, romanticized the idea of being a missionary. Oh, it's so wonderful. You get to travel and go places and see new things. And um, this sometimes happens with short-term mission trips. You know, they're, they're not all fun and games. They shouldn't be. <laughs> Um, but it's not a romantic kind of thing. 
and some of the cost of it was lost on them, and Jesus had to inform of them, inform them rather, of some of the difficulties of their of their proposed choice. There are internal difficulties as well as external difficulties to this. So the Lord gave a couple of uh, you know external difficulties. It was you know the Lord said it's not going to be easy because first of all you're not going to have a place to live. You know, missionaries today do often have places to live, but really, if you think about it, it's even less temporary. Every place we live is temporary, okay? Even though we've been there for 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years in our, in our place of residence, it's still temporary. But for the missionary, it's even more temporary because many of the missionaries aren't allowed to own property on the field where they're serving, they're renting, or the mission owns the property and they stay there and then they move away. And they go to another city or you know, they do that two or three times in their missionary career or 10 and then they come back to the States and they've left it all behind, all the places where they were, all the stuff they never would have, you know, could have accumulated and all that stuff, it's all, it's all gone, not, not with them anymore. So no place to live, uh, very significant inconvenience. It's not always the case, but it is the case because of the itinerant lifestyle that the Lord maintained. The man had not counted that in the cost, had he? He had not counted that. Then the second man implied that he would follow the Lord, but first he had some family business that he had to attend to. What was that family business? Well, it sounds like that somebody had just died and they needed to go uh, have the funeral for this person and the burial graveside service. But the reality is his father was almost certainly not dead yet. Um, In the culture where we're talking about here, when a loved one died, it was probably a same-day burial. Uh, This man probably would not have been talking to Jesus at this time if his father had died just a few hours ago. He would have been digging the grave and seeing to it that his father got put into there and put away either that or the next day at the latest. He wouldn't be talking to Jesus unless the funeral was already over if the guy had died that particular day. So what he's saying is he has an elderly father who he has to care for until he's dead and buried, and then he could serve the Lord. Okay? The Lord Jesus is not going to be callous and tell somebody, no, sorry, skip the funeral even though it's only 30 minutes from now and, and, and come and follow me. That's silly. That's, that's unrealistic. So it has to be this kind of situation. Elderly father, I've got to care for him until he's done with this life. But the Lord says, no, that's not going to do. There's another external cost of following the Lord, not just that you may not have your own things or your own housing, but you may not be able to attend all of your family's functions or needs. Family is going to come second place after following Christ. And the Lord expresses that by saying this. He says, let the dead bury their own dead. You have to read that as this. Let the spiritually dead bury their own physical dead. Okay, that's, the, that's kind of a play on words, if you will. Um, That matter is not enough to hold yourself back from service to God. 
you have to count the cost. And sometimes that cost is grandparents don't see grandchildren for a long time, uh, and that's held families back from being missionaries. Um, sometimes it means that you're not able to attend all the functions that your family has, reunions and things like that, if you're on the field. And God will return that to you and a hundredfold if you dedicate yourself to serving the Lord. And that's, in this world, it's actually uh, far less of an issue because travel is quick, it's cheaper, we have electronic means of communication. I mean, there's so many things we have that bring us together that make this problem even less pronounced. It's still a problem, however. Um, And the scriptures are clear that Christ comes first and then uh, these other things. Um, Now, let me mention this. uh, When we talk about following, it's very important that we understand this. Let's be careful not to confuse ourselves. There are two kinds of following that are spoken of in the Bible generally here in in the Gospels. There's the following of being a disciple which is what we're trying to encourage and be uh, strengthened in and experience in our own lives. And then there's the following of walking with Jesus during the time of his earthly ministry. Now, all true believers are disciples and are followers of Christ in the first sense that I mentioned. Okay, We're all followers, the disciple kind of followers. Of course, we cannot be the second kind of follower, because we can't walk with Jesus physically and go up and down Galilee and all this um, as he did, because that is past history. But during the work of Christ on earth, there were people who were people who were the walk with Jesus followers, and some of them were not real disciples, not real followers. Okay, you with me? They walked with him. But they were interested in the fishes and the loaves. They weren't interested in the spiritual message. Then there were people who were real disciples who also not only were followers of the Lord in the salvation sense, but they were followers of the Lord in the walking with him sense. You know, the the 11, uh, some of the women, Mary Magdalene and, and all of those who walked with the Lord. They were disciples in both senses, walking with and also being believers in. And then there were some who were disciples who did not walk with the Lord in the sense of going along with him. You remember that, that one uh, time when one of the disciples, I think it was John, said, Lord, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name and he doesn't follow with us. What should we do? Well, the Lord said, look, if he's, on, he's not, on, uh, you know, not against us, he's for us. He's on our side here. Don't you know, speak evil of him. Don't bother him. So... People who walked with Jesus, people who walked with him and were true followers, and people who were true followers but were off somewhere else doing something for the Lord. All very fine and good. But we have the two kind of follower uh, definitions in our mind. We don't confuse physical walking with spiritual following. Just because somebody was walking around with Jesus during his ministry on earth does not mean he was a real follower of Jesus. We have a similar kind of thing uh, that happens. People get confused when they read the Bible about leaven. We were learning about this the other night in a Bible study. Leaven does not always mean sin. 
So whenever you read leaven, don't think of sin. Actually, what it should conjure up in your mind is a small thing that influences a whole. That's what leaven does. Now, sin does that. Sin can be a small thing and influence a whole church or your whole life. But, uh, you know, it could also be the kingdom of God is like leaven. Starts out small and what? Grows to fill the whole earth. But that doesn't mean the kingdom of God is sin. It just means it's small and it has a permeating influence. Or the word son, sometimes in the parables, uh, like in the prodigal son, people read that and they say, well, there's the younger son and there's the older son. And why son sounds like saved. So it must be the younger one saved and the older one saved. But that's invalid. The text of scripture is only talking about biological sons there, one of whom, the younger one, is initially lost, very badly lost, and then he becomes found. So there the son was a biological son who becomes saved. And then you have the older son in the parable. And what about the older son in the parable? Well, he was seemingly righteous on the outside, but he was not a spiritual young man because the the scriptures teach us there that the people who listened to Jesus knew that he was speaking of them, the Pharisees. They're under the figure of that older son. They would have nothing to do with forgiveness. That younger son is a rotten egg, and he's always going to be a rotten egg, and I'm not going to forgive him. The old, you never gave me anything to make merry with my friends. No joy, no, no compassion, no love for the younger brother. So here you have two biological sons, one of whom gets saved, the other one who's, been, who's lost the whole parable. Hopefully he listened to his father and got straightened out, but we don't know because the, the Lord stopped the story at that point. causes our imagination to run with that. So son, biological, spiritual. Leaven, not just sin. Following, sometimes walking with the Lord, sometimes a spiritual follower. Now turn to John chapter 6. This is such an important section that I might touch on this again on Sunday evening, but I want to introduce you to it at least here in a few moments, and then we'll close. Pursuant to that idea of followers that I was just speaking of, in John chapter 6 and verse 66, the scripture says this, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now, what is this? Well, the Lord has been telling them that you have to partake of my flesh and my blood in order to be right with God, to have the manna from heaven. He says in verse 56, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And boy, their heads were, I mean, they were just doing 60 RPMs. I mean, it was just crazy. They were just, their heads were spinning because they said, what is this guy saying? Well, the Lord confirms to them that he's speaking about eternal life. Whoever eats the flesh of the Son of God and drinks his blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. And 
um, he's talking about spiritual truths here. That's in uh, John chapter 6 and verse number 54. Um, but 47 says, He who believes in me has everlasting life. So we make the parallel between consuming Christ and believing, both resulting in everlasting life. So we know that the same, the same thing. He's speaking figuratively or metaphorically. But this is so hard that verse 60 says, Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? And Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this. He said to them, does this offend you? Okay, so here you have disciples who are offended. Now, how is that possible? Because they're disciples in the first sense, the ones who were walking with Jesus, going along, hearing his teaching. But they weren't followers in the second sense, the spiritual sense, believing in the Lord. Um, And so... The Lord says, I'm speaking words to you that are spirit and they are life, but there are some of you, verse 64, who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. Therefore, I have said to you, verse 65, that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. And then it says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So here we have some internal difficulties of people who are considering, should I follow the Lord or not? Remember before we talked about external difficulties, the family uh, having to you know, care for elderly parents who don't have a place to live. But here's an internal difficulty. They stopped following him. They were no longer considered followers of Christ. They didn't consider themselves followers after this, and nobody else did either. They rejected Jesus and his ways. They could not accept his teaching that they had to partake of him under the figure of eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They could not get past this cannibalism idea. Or if they did understand that he was speaking of wholehearted belief, they did not accept that exclusivity of salvation. Either way, they gave evidence that they were fair-weather friends. They were not true followers of the Lord. Okay? I hope that's clear, that there are followers who become unfollowers. They're not true followers in the sense of disciples. They're walk-after-Jesus types who stop walking after Jesus, but they weren't real believers in him. Now, some interpreters deny that following is required of all Christians. That is, that it's entailed by believing. In other words, when you say that something is entailed by something else, it means that The first thing is required because of the second. Following is required because of belief, right? If you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ. A true believer I'm talking about now, not the kind of just walk after the Lord, fishes and loaves, disciples. We affirm that to believe implies to follow. That is that they are either both true of true believers or both false. You either believe and follow or you don't believe and you don't follow. But there's no such thing as a person who believes and does not follow. A person who believes but refuses to follow is not a person who truly believes. Now, many say that following should happen, but doesn't necessarily. We believe, on the other hand, that we are making disciples, not just believers. We are making disciples. Make disciples, followers, not just believers. What belief means 
If you believe that you can believe but not follow, what that belief means is basically a head belief. That's believing the uh, facts of the gospel, including maybe one is a sinner and needs a crucified and risen Christ to solve the sin problem, but believing is more than just facts. Real belief is mind and will and desire. Mind and will and desire, not just the brain in the sense of the mind, not just the sense of facts. Okay? <clears throat> so how do we know that believing and following are so intertwined with one another? Well, we see it in Luke or John 6, rather, in 64, where it says, there are some of you who do not believe. Now, who do you suppose the Lord's talking about? He's talking about those disciples, in quotes, who went back and walked with him no more. What's the problem with those people that, did, that were not followers of him anymore? They didn't believe. That's what he says. There are some of you who do not believe. And so it's those people who are going to leave. So the persistence of following indicates the persistence of belief, the trueness of the lastingness of belief. Jesus knew who did not believe because uh, his human nature had access to that omniscience of the divine nature, the divine logos that Christ, that Christ possessed. The ones who do not believe are the ones who are going to depart from walking with Jesus. They were the fair-weather followers, not the real followers. You know, this is just like the case of Romans 9. There are Israelites... And then there are Israelites. There are Israelites, those who are descended from Israel. And then there are those who are descended from Israel and share the faith of God that, say, Abraham did. Or the same with Abraham. There are descendants of Abraham, and then there are descendants of Abraham. The ones who come out of Abraham. But, I mean, Ishmael is not a son of Abraham in the spiritual sense. Okay? Uh, all, all the sons of Keturah were not the promised son. Abraham, and you have Isaac, uh, you know, Rebekah, uh, twins, Esau. Well, one I loved, the other one I hated. Um, so it's not just physical descendancy that's the issue. So we have a similar thing here. There's, you know, not just physical following is the issue, just like not, you know, physical descendancy is not the only important part. So... No one comes to, the, to Jesus unless the Father grants it and draws him. The Father does not grant people to believe only and not to follow. Does that make sense? He does not grant to people to believe and not follow. When he grants someone to believe, he grants them followership as well. Um, look at uh, 667. Uh, John 6, 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter and all of us who are true believers would say, Perish the thought of going away from you. Because Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied to them and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And of course, he ends that verse with, And one of you is a demon or a devil. So the scripture is quite clear 
that they, these guys did not go away because they understood that the Lord was speaking the words of eternal life. They came to know and to believe that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied that he had chosen them and God's intended end for them was to believe and to follow and to be like Christ. That's what salvation is all about. And so, yes, we do put some... Mm, cost, as it were, into the whole mix. Salvation is free, but it is costly to follow the Lord. And that, those two thoughts mesh perfectly together. Salvation is given to you, but if you choose it, you must know that you might not have a place to lay your head. Uh, literally, some people don't. In a strong Muslim family, if you tell your dad, I've decided to follow Jesus, guess what, guess what happens to you? You get kicked out on your can on the street. Better go find somewhere else to live. You just lost the place to lay your head. And that happens in other cultures and families as well. So this is not something that, you know, you can just kind of say, oh, well, whatever, you know, it's, uh, there's an issue here. You're going to become a follower of Christ or you're not. There's no... There's no kind of third way, no easy way where you can just kind of believe in your head and, and not follow the Lord. So that's been a burdensome thought to me over the years as I've come to learn about that and see clearly how the Lord teaches that in Scripture. But hopefully that's helpful to you tonight. We're going to close just now and ask the Lord's blessing. And I ask you to pray for uh, Brother John. He's not here tonight. I was hoping to see him, but evidently he's not feeling well enough to to be here, so we're going to remember him as well. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us tonight. Thank you for these words in Scripture. Thank you for the time we could pray. Thank you for the access that we have by grace, through faith, in this, in this way in which we can pray. We are grateful to you for it. We pray for our brother John, that you will help him, whatever his affliction is this evening, that you'll raise him up to health. We know, Lord, that he's been on the kind of a limited capacity and probably when he gets up and feels well in the morning, that feeling uh, evaporates by the afternoon and uh, he needs to go home and get some food and rest. And so we pray that sometime he might have more physical capacity to be able to uh, have a little more stamina, if that be your will. We thank you for each of the people who are here tonight uh, we thank you for blessing us with each other in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh. When did you show up here? See? The scripture is fulfilled again. Ask and you shall receive. All right. Well, very good. We're glad that you're, uh, you've come in, John. We'll have a little fellowship with us anyway. Lord bless you folks. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. We'll continue on, Lord willing, on Sunday night, uh, looking at some other matters here in the chapter. More marvelous work of our Lord. Amen. Good night.